But for now, let's read God's Word together. We are, we've been looking over a few weeks at the story of Samson, the strong man, and we're going to conclude that this morning as we read from the book of Judges. Um, it's quite a long passage, but it's one of these quite uh, uh, exciting passages. So, we're reading from Judges chapter 15 and reading from verse 20 and then through, verse, through chapter 16. Let's hear the Word of God. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. One day, Samson went to Gaza, which was the Philistine capital, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the day, said, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not, have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man, men. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him up with them. When the men hidden in the room, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave seven braids of my hair into the fabric of the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, Delilah took seven braids of his head and wore them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. And again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So, he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, 
She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands, and after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke with his great from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gorged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But his hair on his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who has laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When he stood, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof was about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, Strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the central pillars on the temple where the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Amen. And then in contrast, let's read from the Gospel of John from the New Testament, chapter 8, these words. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this chapter in, in Your Word, this, this story of Samson, we pray that You would speak to us as we meditate on it, that we might learn of Your saving power, and You might set us free. Amen. Insanity, they say, is doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting a different result. You've no doubt heard that quote before, 
and it's so true, because we all do it, don't we? We keep doing things, and we know they're not good. We keep falling into patterns of life, even when our experience tells us, never mind the Word of God, tells us that they don't work for us. Bad habits are all over our track paths, as it were. Addiction is perhaps the most obvious, but before we even go to to major addictions, all of us have addictions. Ingrained habits of life, unhealthy practices that we repeat time and time and time and time and time and time again. Uh, If you're married, you'll find yourself saying sorry for the same things again and again and again. Why? Because you keep doing it. And we see it in each other all the time. like using a tablet that keeps going to sleep. It can be different things. It can be gossip. It can be unhealthy conversation. It can be laziness. Or it can be good things that we just do too much of, time wasted too much on television, internet, or those grumpy, pointless arguments that go nowhere, but we never seem to avoid. And you find yourself back in the same place once again. We all have what we might call sin patterns. And as we look back on our lives, we can see those sort of eroded paths, can't we, that we have walked down too often and again and again. And every time we've done it, what have we said? I'm never doing that again. And then we found ourselves rinsing and repeating. The Bible looks at sin in two ways. The one is the one we speak about the most, which is we do wrong things and we need to be forgiven, and Jesus comes to set us free from our guilt, and we receive that forgiveness. But there is another way that the Bible speaks about sin, and that is sin as a power that enslaves us, a power that corrupts our will, that prevents us doing things until we can't escape those bad, eroded paths until our souls end up with grooves in them molded by years of unhealthy behavior. We are trapped in the same old, same old, until we begin to feel the loathing, the self-loathing, and the guilt again. Jesus said in the passage we looked at earlier, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is the slave of sin. And here's the thing, A slave doesn't just need someone to come along and forgive them for whatever they've done that's wrong. A slave needs someone who comes and sets them free. It's not just that we do the wrong things, it's that we're not able to do the right things anymore. We try to turn over a new leaf, to do things differently, to make the reformation in our lives, and we fail again. But Jesus went on to say this, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not just forgiven, but given a new strength to be able to break through that power of sin in your lives. The book of Judges is in one sense a metaphor for that notion of keeping doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Because it has a pattern, and I spoke about this before. The people sin, 
And because they sin, God's blessing is removed. And because God's blessing is removed, their enemies, different enemies in different chapters of the book, begin to take hold of the land and oppress them. And then they repent and God forgives them. But not only does God forgive them, He sends a judge or a deliverer to set them free so that they can live the way they were supposed to live. Except what happens then is the pattern is repeated because they sin again and they call out again and all the cycle begins again except every time that they do it, it seems to get worse. And by the time we come to the last judge, and that's Samson, the people aren't really repenting. In fact, they've got so used to being oppressed by their enemies that they're sort of stuck there, like abused people stuck in a relationship that they can't get out of. The story is unlike all the other ones, because Samson, whatever he does and whatever his strengths, fails to set them free from the Philistines. Chapter 15 ends with very sad words. Samson led, sorry, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now, think about that for a minute. Here's God's deliverer, God's judge. He's become the leader of God's people for 20 years, and it's still the days of the Philistines. They're still oppressed. It's not set them free. Now, David turned up in five minutes, got a sling, and down went Goliath. Moses, it took him a few years to to, for God to use him to set the people free from Egypt. Samson's been the leader of God's people for 20 years, and he has failed. They're still in bondage. Interestingly, there's a guy called Shamgar, and you bet you haven't heard of him, but he was one of the earliest judges in the book. He only gets one verse, and it simply says, Shamgar became the judge of Israel, and he delivered Israel. Stop. Samson gets four chapters, and he hasn't managed to do it. They're still calling the Philistines their masters. They're still in bondage. The same old, the same old, stuck in the groove. And in fact, as we look at Samson's life, we can see the same thing in his own life. Chapter 16 began, one day Samson went to Gaza. And before we get into the story of Delilah, we just need to think where the story has taken us already. In chapter 14, instead of delivering Israel from the Philistines, as God wanted them to do, Samson went down to Timnah, which was another Philistine town. And when he got there, he saw a beautiful Philistine woman. He fancied her. He wanted her. He married her. And it was a disaster. He kept a riddle secret from her. She nagged him. She got it out of him and it ended in a cycle of violence and rage and betrayal. You see the pattern. Come to chapter 16, and more or less the same thing's happening again. He goes to Gaza, he sees a prostitute. He repeats the story of, of, of chapter 14. He sleeps with her, he wants her, and she nearly captures him. And 20 years of being the leader of God's people, and he has learned absolutely nothing. He's doing the same things again and again and again. Why does Samson go to Gaza? Is he addicted to danger? But in any case, as he goes to Gaza, it's a trap. Sorry, it's a Star Wars meme if you've lost it. Never mind. It's a trap. And the pattern repeats itself for a third time with Delilah. Here's a question, though. What are our Gazas? 
places or situations we keep going into that we know will do us no good. Places or situations we go into that we know we are too weak to handle and will almost certainly end up with us sinning. An addict needs to avoid the places where the things they're addicted to are. We know, we know how that works. But all of us do the same things. There are certain situations that may not be bad in terms of wrong for Christians, but are wrong for us because they are leading us away from God. Or equally, there can be places that we avoid, like Christian fellowship, and we know how it ends, and yet we keep doing it. What are our Gazas? I am forgiven. I am declared innocent by God, and I need to know that I don't need to feel guilt. But I need something else, and that is a realistic view of myself, to know that I am weak, very weak, and to know that God still has a work to do in me to realize that I'm a recovering sinner, as we all are in church, and therefore to be realistic about my weaknesses, to learn from my mistakes. You see, Gaza is a second trap for Samson, and, and, and some, so, somehow he escapes from Gaza. The problem is he draws the wrong conclusion. Rather than saying, that was stupid, I nearly came to disaster, the Philistines nearly got me, I better not do that again, he seems to say the opposite. He actually says, oh, I got away with it. Therefore, I'm strong, I can handle these things and I'll be okay. Now, Christians can do that as well. Sometimes we, we, we sin, we shun Christian fellowship, and, 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 and it's not good for us, but we sort of think, well, it was all right, because after a while, I, 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 I sort of say, I, I, I asked for forgiveness, and God forgave me, and I'm back in again, and it's great. But the problem is we're creating a pattern that there might become a point where it's a, where it's a spiritual disaster. And as we look at the number of people that we know who are brought up in churches, who made Christian professions, who walked with the Lord, who are now nowhere, we mustn't have the arrogance to think that can't happen to us. And yet we do. And that's where Samson was that day as well. Peter says, be alert and sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. And in Samson's case, the lion was Delilah. My, 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 Delilah. The temptress who defeats the strong man. And this only really makes sense in the context of the whole of the chapters. Samson's relationships before it lustful relationships with a Philistine woman, which nearly led to his captivity, chapter 14, chapter 16, sleeping with a prostitute, and now he's here with another Philistine woman who is luring him into deep danger. You see, here's a man who has believed the myth of his own invulnerability. He thinks, I'm strong, I can cope with anything, never mind me, I can shake anything off, I can court danger, spiritual danger, physical danger, doesn't matter, I'll be okay because God's blessed me, God's given me strength, I can handle anything. And if you look at verse 20, when he wakes from his sleep, he says, this is after Delilah's tied him up twice, yeah, I'll just get up and shake myself free. It'll be fine. 
don't be a pain. I'm strong. What he's doing here is he's recklessly assuming, God will, God will get me out of it. I don't have to worry. doesn't matter what I do. doesn't matter how I behave. doesn't really matter at all. doesn't matter how foolish I am, how much fire I play with. You know, the strength is mine by right. I'll be fine. His strength's gone to his head, and he's become spiritually reckless, and Delilah is his downfall. It's an interesting question as you read this. Um, one of the things the Bible doesn't do is psychoanalyze the characters, but it almost sets you up to do that, isn't it? Why is it that Samson is such an idiot? He's, he's sitting with this girl, telling them things. He's, she's telling the Philistines. He knows she's doing that, and yet he keeps telling her stuff until eventually he tells her the whole thing. What? What's he doing with this? Is this just a guy who, who, who courts danger, who, who lives by it? Some of the rabbis suggest that he was actually into dangerous sex. He liked getting tied up. Well, we're not going to go there. You're all right. But there's a whole lot of ideas. But we can also see something else, the classic marks of an abusive relationship. He's being manipulated, constant emotional pressure undermining him. You don't really love me unless you do this and you do that and you do the next thing. And Samson needy, unable to break out of the emotional bonds until he's worn down and becomes someone's plaything. Now, this emotionally abusive relationship is probably more often with the gender roles reversed. But there it is. Either way, he's lost control until he becomes a slave. And it's the image of how sin takes away our freedom until we're stuck in those deadly patterns. You think you're in control and it's your choice until you realize you're tied up and your strength is gone and you're trapped. And finally, Delilah gets a secret out of him that he's a Nazarite. And what that means is that he's had a vow since he was born that he would be dedicated to God, that he would get this strength by not having his hair cut, by not... Um, being someone who drank too much and, and, and being someone who was set apart to be holy for God, except Samson has not lived in a holy way at all. Most people only took Nazarite vows for a short time, but Samson was set apart to live for the whole of his life in a holy way, except he didn't. He certainly went to vineyards. He slept around. You see, he's missed the point that his strength isn't magic long hair. His strength is supposed to be a relationship with God, a living for God, and given a gift of great strength that He might be the one to set God's people free. And indeed, even when Delilah cuts his hair, he just assumes that he'll have that strength and be able to shake it off. He's taken it all for granted until he's tied up, blinded, and left to be a puppet serving in the house of a pagan god. The whole thing can be a metaphor for how sin can wreck us and trap us and does all the time. Are you depressed? One of the things we need to do with the Bible, and I, I, I love this, is that the Bible doesn't give us optimism. It deals with the real brokenness of our lives. It really goes there into some very dark places, but it never leaves us there. There's always hope. That's the gospel good news. And one of the things that we might see in this very flawed story of the judges is that God is in the business of sending deliverers 
And that points to the final deliverer that He will send, which is Jesus. And some commentators have looked at Samson's story, and they've said, well, it's a wee bit like Jesus. He's betrayed and handed over to his enemies. He's, he's bound up, he's mocked, he's humiliated, and he dies with his arms outstretched. So, maybe he's a bit like Jesus. Well, I could end with that, but I think you might think, nah, it's a wee bit of a stretch, isn't it? Others have said, look, we should just forget this guy. He's just an oversexed buffoon. He's not an example at all. His death is just the personal vengeance of a suicide bomber. Let's just write off Samson. Well, is that right? Well, it's not quite right. For a start, I don't think Samson's committed suicide here. He's already a dead man. He's lost his eyes, his strength, and everything. And the people who he kills in the end aren't that innocent. They're God's worst enemies, reviling and worshiping and insulting the God of Israel. The interesting thing is what Samson does at this point, because he does exactly what Jonah does in the belly of the whale, what the thief does as he's hanging on the cross. He prays, and it's interesting that Samson has never, I've lost the verses here, uh, Samson has really never in this whole story prayed before. He prays, verse 28, Sovereign Lord, remember me. He calls God sovereign, creator of the universe, please. And in the end, he recognizes that in his defeat and his weakness, he recognizes that all his strength came from God. It's the lesson that actually he should have learned all his life, but never did. I am weak unless God gives me strength. And in his weakness, he calls out for mercy. Remember me. I deserve to be forgotten. I deserve that my story be written right off. But Lord, have mercy. And he finally understands in his dying day that God had given him a purpose. And the purpose was to set Israel free from the Philistines. And for once, he uses his strength not for self-glorification, but in self-sacrifice as he gives his life and sets Israel free and the roof comes down on the Philistines. God gave Samson a promise at the beginning that he would begin to deliver Israel, and in his death, God begins to keep that promise. I don't know that that was God's ideal for Samson, but it certainly shows us that despite Samson's evil, God was faithful. And we know this because in the book of Hebrews, it actually lists Samson as one of the heroes of faith. It says this, I do not have time to tell about Barak and Samson and David and Samuel and the prophets who went through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. What's the message then? To understand that we are weak and vulnerable and always capable of destructive sin but to look to God, to recognize that God doesn't just want to forgive us, He wants to begin a work to change us, to give us the strength that sets us free to live differently. We are forgiven by grace, 
But here is the thing, God is also by grace doing a work within us to change us. To be free is not just to be forgiven, it's to be free to live as God wants us to live. You know, one of the messages of this book is simply this. Life may sometimes look like a rubbish heap, but God is working always in the rubbish heap, even in the things that look absolutely desperate. Or as we simply said to the children at the holiday club, God isn't looking for supermen and superwomen, but He's willing to work with us in our very weaknesses and our patterns of self-destruction. Samson isn't the Redeemer, but he points to our need of it and the work that's done in Jesus. Jesus.